Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 251st episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. So how's your new year going? If it feels exactly like last year and you want something better this year, then I have several ways I can support you. First, I have a free quiz that you can take on my website at ColleenO'Grady.com. It literally will only take you a few minutes. This will be a great tool to help you see what you are really good at and where you need some support. Quiz is called What's Your Mom Mode? Which is looking at your mothering method, manner, or style. We all tend to live a lot of our life unconsciously and fall into patterns that keeps us feeling stuck. This quiz helps you become aware of some of these hidden patterns. Once you can see them, then it's much easier to change them because you're aware of them. The great thing is after you take the quiz, you will get immediate feedback about your strengths and tips on how you can improve. Some of you may want more individual attention and support. I do have a few openings available for mom coaching. Also, would you like to experience the support of other moms just like you? Well, if you have a senior in high school or someone in college, I have a few spots left in my Dial Up the Dream Book Club Plus, where you will get weekly coaching with me and other moms. So I'm here for you moms, and you can contact me at Colleen at DialDownTheDrama.com or go to my website at ColleenOGrady.com, and that's two L's and two E's. Did you know that 67% of marriages go through extreme dissatisfaction after having children? And my guess is that those statistics are even higher when you're parenting teens. This eye-opening statistic forms the backdrop for our discussion today, where we explore the dynamics of parenting stress on relationships. Our conversation delves into practical strategies for couples inspired by the 33% who not only survive but thrive during parenthood. We explore topics like creating meaningful connection moments, nurturing essential rituals, remaining actively involved in each other's lives, and cultivating a positive mindset that focuses on strengths rather than shortcomings. How can we maintain a strong connection and communication amidst the challenges of parenting teenagers? Well, I really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Robert and Charla Snow. This episode is full of really practical tips and science-based approaches to help your marriage thrive in the teenage years. Dr. Robert and Charla Snow, a married couple with over 31 years together, passionately combine science, art, and personal experience to coach couples in achieving lasting and joyful marriages. With backgrounds in neuroscience, NLP, and timeline therapy, they also hold certifications in Gottman Method 
Couples Therapy. Their mission is inspired by their own journey, growing from divorced families to a thriving family of six as they strive to transform relationships globally. Welcome, Robert and Charlotte Snow. Well, thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be with you. It's going to be fun today. Yes, I'm very excited. So you work with couples. We do. And you know that parenting can affect couples. So we're going to talk about that today. But why did y'all get interested in working with couples? We were working with couples on mindset and couples who were in business together. That was sort of our focus because we both have our own individual businesses. We started working with couples and just helping them get past their mindset issues, leave off some baggage, be a little bit more successful. And as we started working with these couples, we would hear stories about how their relationships improved. And we said, wow, we got to shift our focus. We got to shift our focus a little bit. And the longer you've been married or in any committed relationship, and we like to say that. So marriage is either a piece of paper or this emotionally committed relationship for us. We started watching relationships start to deteriorate, usually in these people who are business owners, as they couldn't agree on how to move forward. And we thought there has to be a way to get people some skills, not just business skills, but some relationship skills. And then we saw that and did the Gottman training. And yeah, and I'll let Charlotte tell the rest. Yeah. And I think mainly we were really passionate about it because of both of our individual backgrounds, both of us coming from divorced homes ourselves, Robert's mom being married four times and kind of having um, pretty chaotic, somewhat traumatic experiences growing up. You know, we got into our own relationship with a lot of baggage and a lot of really poor conflict skills. So it became a passion of ours just because it was so important to us to change those patterns that we were kind of handed down. There was this one day that our daughter, you know, this was years and years later, but it's kind of like the legacy, right? When we talk about legacy, we want to leave. And Brooklyn, our daughter, she one day was looking at us and she was maybe 12. And she said, you guys are just so cute. I just love watching the two of you. You're so cute. And for your 12, 13 year old daughter to say that, was like, oh, we're doing something right, (laughs) you know? And so I think that's the real why for me and why we're so passionate about that is just the fact that we've been able to create so much change and see that change in our children. And so I'll just add on to that, but that conversation about our daughter was, we like to ask people like, what kind of relationship do you want your children to have when they grow up and get in these community relationships? Do you want them to have your relationship or you want to have them something better? Because we don't think they're watching us. Mm-hmm. They are as evidenced by that story that Brooklyn, that Charlotte just told about Brooklyn. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I have so many questions for y'all. Okay. Yeah. So teenagers can be dramatic and parents can get pulled into drama. There's so many different patterns that I see. And I'd be curious to hear about some of the patterns that you see that kind of parents can get pulled in. One that I see a lot is... The mom is kind of in the weeds and she knows like all the details and she knows what's going on. And because she knows that she can get really passionate about things and can get emotional about things, especially I think between mothers and daughters, things can heat up. And then the dad kind of steps in who's kind of had a more distant role or kind of a bird's eye role of what's going on. And he just like, y'all just need to be quiet. Two of you need to be quiet. And so it can become like that and it can not be helpful for couples. 
So I'm wondering if y'all see Mm. some patterns frequently that parents can get involved in. When we talk about conflicts in relationships, it's interesting. One of the things we use Gottman methods a lot in our work, John Gottman, renowned marriage researcher. I know you know who that is, just kind of introducing it for listeners. He studied couples for 50 years and would bring back the same couples every three years up to 20 years and studied thousands of couples and what worked, what didn't work, what were the characteristics of the masters versus the characteristics of the disasters and so much data. You know, prior to John Gottman's work, there was no data on divorce predictability, what went into creating a happy, thriving relationship, what were the red flags. So we know so much, you know, based on his work. And one of the things that came out of that is that 69% of conflict in relationships are perpetual, meaning the same couples would come back three years later, three years later, three years later, they were still arguing about the same stuff for their whole life. (laughs) And Mm. so even not just in the disasters group, but even in the master's. So it's not uncommon for parents, for couples, right, to have these perpetual disagreements. The key is how we talk about them, how we deal with them, how we continue to dialogue about them. But what's interesting as you're talking to us is that one of the things for us that's been a perpetual conflict in our relationship has been what you're talking about. It's been how do we parent together? So for some people, parenting is a perpetual problem. For other people, it's not. And for us, we had very different backgrounds. And because of those different backgrounds, we had different ideologies, different values, different goals, different dreams. And so parenting for us became one of those perpetual conflicts. It was funny as you introduced that, that disagreement between the mother and the daughter and the dad comes in and he said, there's probably a couple more, but there's two word statements that I think that we know in hindsight are the ones that cause trouble and it's be quiet. (laughs) <laughs> and the other one is calm down. Calm down. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. those, those two will really, really cause problems. And it can be that way when, you know, I think you have to as so as the dad in that role and coming home to see that. I mean, I think sometimes it's easy for us to take this high level view. And maybe we come into the situation a little calmer because we're not been frustrated and refrustrated by that interaction and interaction with the team. And it's easier for us in that way. Or we don't understand what's really been happening in this situation. You know, our goal really is how can we find and provide support, right? But as we like to say in relationships and also with relationships with your kids, how you disagree is how your relationship goes. So if you can keep it from going zero to 60, mm-hmm. things get super negative. Yeah, and super negative, things get a lot better. And avoid some of the four horsemen that John Gottman talks about that Charlotte's going to probably talk about that later. Yeah. So I'm curious. I have never seen a couple completely agree about everything about parenting no no i actually don't think that's possible and and so when we talk about one of our perpetual conflicts it is over how to parent our now 15 year old still to this day even the work that we do we still disagree about sometimes parenting like even the healthiest of couples the happiest the thriving couples are still going to have disagreement about that yeah and as you know this but i want you to think about you know you didn't marry the person that was exactly like you Mm-hmm. Right. You married a person that actually complimented some strengths maybe that you wanted. And there's some actually interesting research that, that as an aside, there's a thing called the T-shirt study where they had women smell T-shirts of guys. I think it was Danish. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Danish study. So that's a very fun study to look at just when we talk about <laughs> genetically what we're attracted to. And so the girls, well, I guess I introduced Sebastian Tillister. 
So they just had women smell these t-shirts and just based on the smell of the t-shirt that these men wore, which one do you think they would be attracted to, right? And they weren't all attracted to the six foot four, 240 pound soccer player, right? It was absolutely surprising. And genetically, they were actually attracted to somebody who had a genetic predisposition for or a genetic strength and possessed some immunity that maybe they didn't. So there's a genetic component behind it. But So that aside, I love talking science, but that aside, we're not the same person. So we're not going to see, we're not going to see things from the same way. And we were all raised differently. I was raised very strict, very authoritative. Respect is an absolute must. It's almost military in the way that my mom raised me. And Charlotte was completely different, much more accepting, much more patient, right? And so how are we possibly going to see it? I'm saying, you need to bring respect to the table. And she's like, no, it's fine. He's having a bad day. And I'm like, okay, I don't understand this, right? Mm-hmm. And so but that's okay. As we learn to see each other's point of view and respect the other person's point of view and then give grace for why it is that that is a very deeply held value for her. And she does the same thing for why it is that this is a very deeply held value for me. Then we can come together and meet usually in the middle. Yes. So I would like y'all to expand on that because I think a lot of the moms listening out there or the dads listening out there have kind of hit an impasse and they're just not hearing each other. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of hurt feelings. So how do you talk about something in parenting where you really see things differently? I love the analogy that actually John Gottman uses. So I'm going to borrow it because I love it. He said, you know, in any conflict, whether that's parenting or whether if you're not struggling in this area, maybe it's money, maybe it's something else. Imagine that you and your partner have two fists that are held up and they're just clashing at each other. We're usually never really arguing about what it is that we're arguing about. And so he says is you've got to open those fists to see what's inside the fist to see what we're really arguing about. And I love that analogy because we have to go deeper into understanding. And my belief is that with enough understanding, the problem itself will either go away or we'll find some mutual compromise, even if it's just a temporary compromise, the problem sort of fades away. So what is the understanding that we're lacking in this conversation that we need to get in order to move forward? So when you think about that, like, how do I open the fist? How do I see what's in his? How does he see what's within my fist? And a really good rule of thumb is don't try to jump into solving. Don't try to jump into compromising until you first fully understand each other. I think that's the big rule and the takeaway is like understanding must precede any sort of resolution. So what are some questions we can ask each other to look inside each of our fists? You know, it's the why questions, right? So like, what about this position is so important to you? Mm -hmm. So could we have like a specific example so the parents can really understand what y'all are talking about? Okay, so just a fun example. We do fun. Our, we do we'll use our side for our 15 year old because that's always great. I'm glad we have a teenager last right now. Last winter or the winter before that, it snows where we are. And he works really hard and he's gone a lot from the house and he does all this work, right? And he comes home from work at the end of the day and there's two feet of snow on the front walkway and the teenager's in there on his computer for the fourth hour. And it's like, I've been working all day. Why couldn't he go outside and shovel the walkway so that the mailman could get to the door? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not too much to ask, is it really? 
And so we could look at that and get into an argument about that where he and I are just fighting about who and when this walkway gets shoveled and I could get defensive and he could get defensive and then we can start criticizing each other or we could open up our fists and ask what's so important about this situation. So we could ask each other, you know, tell me why this is so important to you. So tell me why this is is so important to you. Because I believe that as we teach him how to be responsible to notice things around his environment and to work hard, that that makes him a better grown up. Okay. So those are things that are important to me. Is there a story behind this for you? That would be another question. Is there a story maybe from your childhood or from your background? Is there a story about this for you that makes this so meaningful to you? You bet. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here's the story. I was raised with a single parent and it was my responsibility to shovel the walkway in the snow every time it snowed. Okay. That was my job. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Because that was my job. Now I see that as the next person's job. Like if it was good enough for me to do and if it developed a good work ethic in me, then I project that onto my 15-year-old. By the way, without really telling him why it's important to me. Mm-hmm. Like no mm-hmm. sense telling him that. He should just be able to, you know. So let me ask you another question. So as I'm digging into trying to understand Robert's position here, do you have any core beliefs or any core values around this behind your position? Core value. Taking care of the house. It's all of our responsibilities, not just my responsibility. Yeah. Helping out. I I think this is part of this. Teamwork. Yeah, teamwork. Mm -hmm. As we work together, not letting one person have to do all of the tasks. As we work together, it gets done better. Learn how to work. Learn how to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes to do things that you don't want to do. So what would be your ideal dream here? What oh, would be your... That he'd wake be your... up 5 a.m. before me and shovel the water. Okay. Are we negotiable on the 5 a.m. part? Sure, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there a deeper purpose or a deeper goal here? Yeah, I don't want to shovel the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 15-year-old who's capable of listening to him shovel the snow. Okay. Right. So maybe this was just a fun example, but oh, it's partially we, true. How do we dig into? Is there a deeper purpose for you? Is there a deeper goal? Do you have a position, like an ethics or beliefs or values behind this? Tell me why this is so important to you. Learn what's in their fist, and once you can kind of digest that a little bit and go, okay, I can put their hat on for a minute and go, I actually do see their point of view. Can we then compromise around? What's non-negotiable here versus what is negotiable? And like I said, can we negotiate on the 5 a.m. part? Can we let him sleep in on the weekend till 10 a.m.? Will that really be a problem? All right. Yeah, sure. He can sleep in until 10 and then he can go shovel the walkway. Right. I love it. Just to be clear, because I'm assuming this, but this process would go back and forth. And then yes. you would ask Charlotte what she thinks. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. We're just trying to speed it up. But yeah, that would yes. be a conversation back and forth. Where he would then look inside my fist, ask me a lot of those similar questions, and he could go, okay, she wants things to be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more calm, a little bit more fun. Let's have some fun too. Let's not make it all hard work. And then he starts to look inside my fist and then we can go, okay, where are the edges that we can compromise on? Well, still, and this is important, right? We never want to force our position on someone else. If one person is always winning, and the other person is always losing, then that's not good for anybody. How do we find a win-win here where we can respect and honor each of our individual core values, beliefs, values? 
Right. And now the yeah. conversation goes a little differently when it snows. And I'll, as I'm leaving or if I'm working, I'm like, hey, if Dallin gets a chance sometime today, could he shovel the walkway for me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you also can start with where you agree, right? And build yeah. on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We both yeah. agree that he probably should shovel the walkway. Right. Don't we? We do. Okay. Good. We I do. Had, I that <laughs> we do. <laughs> oh, this has been great. All right. So how can we maintain a strong connection and communication amidst the challenges of parenting teenagers? How do we maintain a strong connection? Yeah, that's such a good question, because I think when I look back to when our oldest kids were getting into those teenagers, there's a story, Robert, and I share a lot, but we've shared it on our podcast as well. We were driving in the car one day and... Oh, I remember this one. (laughs) You know, we had been so focused on the kids, so focused on our careers. And, you know, we're splitting up, we're dividing schedules. You take this one, you take that one, that we had just lost each other. And we didn't easy, right? Like we had two kids in baseball at the same time. So I'm at one ballpark, she's at the other ballpark with the other child, right? Well, teenager that time. And then we're texting each other the score. That's the sum total of our coming together. Right. So we're in the car driving. I remember exactly where we were going around this roundabout. And I look at him and I'm like, can you remember a time, like an actual specific time when you felt deeply loved by me? And he got quiet. He got really, really quiet. We go through the roundabout, through the next exit, through the next exit, exit the roundabout. We're driving down the street. He still hasn't said a word. And I realized, oh, here I am thinking that I've done all of these things for him, which are really for the family, for the kids. And I thought he was going to run off a list of all the ways I was such a great mom. And that was my evidence for how much I loved him when in reality, Mm -hmm. he hadn't actually felt loved at all for quite a long time. He was struggling to come up with something. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh my gosh, we've become so complacent in our relationship because we've been putting the kids first and dividing up. And we thought we were doing the best thing for our quote family, right? But we'd kind of lost each other in the meantime. And so we had to step back and go, okay, who do we want to be as a couple when the kids are gone? And I think a lot of times, and maybe your listeners can relate to that, because I think when we get to those early teenage years, that's when we start to realize, ooh, they're going to be gone soon. What's going to be left of us? Such a great question to ask. What's going to be left of us? And so we had to start really Mm -hmm. changing the way we prioritized each other. And the way we spent time together, the way we moved through life together. And one of the things also coming from Gottman's research, he looked at how people transition through parenthood, through retirement, through struggle, through all these different transitions in life. What causes some couples to turn towards each other and get stronger versus the ones who allow those mountains that happen in life to break them? And the answer became really, how good is your friendship? What kind of emotional deposits have you put into your emotional bank account? How have you been nurturing that friendship? Mm -hmm. So the answer to your question, and we can dig more into the specifics, but how to maintain a strong connection is friendship. Yeah. It's easy to lose, right? Mm -hmm. You could never say by looking at two parents who come home with two kids, well, we had three, I think, at the time. You'd never say that we weren't doing the best for our family. I come home from work. I got to be at the game at seven. I'm home by 630. I'm picking up baseball gear and a child. and We're off to practice, right? And then come home at 1030 at night and fall in bed and do it again. So you can't say that we're not good parents, right? And Mm -hmm. from all outward 
appearances, everything seems to be going great because we're you know, at least coming to baseball games together. But when you put your kids first, because they're everything, and I'm not saying they're not, and you put your marriage in sixth place, seventh place after both games, yeah, maybe once a week on Sundays, then that's when things just start to fade away and we have to figure out what's left. And there's a couple of really cool tricks that you can do and it doesn't take very long to even put yourself back on the path, right? You can find your way back to the path and we have a couple of our favorite ways to do that as well and some other things. Okay, well, tell me. What okay. are <laughs> I know I led you there, but I also, you know, I want to make sure that if you get different questions too, something came up. So my favorite thing to do is we call it rituals, right? And it's the way, the way that we connect. And the way you connect is how you develop and build your friendship. And there's other things called bids for connections. I think I'll probably let Charlotte talk about that. We'll talk about rituals first. Yeah, we'll talk about rituals first. So rituals are these things that we just do. Maybe it's the same way, but they're sort of non-negotiable. So sacred, I would say. Yeah. So in our world, there are at least three non-negotiable rituals. And the first one happens when I leave in the morning. If I'm leaving or if she's leaving, doesn't matter. We're always going to take the opportunity to connect. Maybe it's a kiss, maybe it's a hug. We're going to just get a brief update about how the day is going. Okay. And then as soon as I get home, doesn't matter how much, doesn't matter if my son won his volleyball game or not. I'm going to high five the, he's taller than me. So I'm going to reach up and high five that grown kid. <laughs> and I'm going to walk past him and I'm going to come over and I'm going to hug my wife. Right. I'm going to just give her a kiss on the back of her neck and I'm just going to ask her how her day is. These are the two non-negotiable things, right? It takes all of one minute each, yeah. two minutes each. But it sets the tone for the day. And by high-fiving him and walking past him, he also knows that I'm walking to the most important thing to me, right? The second most important thing, standing in the living room, usually with the door of the refrigerator open because he's 15. Right? <laughs> he knows that as well. So we're setting that example. And then I'm just showing her how I connect. And then the other one is, we call it a, geez, it's their weekly meeting, but we call it the State of the Union. So we'll do a weekly meeting just to get caught up on each other's days and weeks and what the plans are. But those are the three that happen. Oh, there's one more. Oh, there's, there's one, one more. more. There's one, one more. more ritual that we do almost every single day is when we reconnect at the end of the day, we spend, oh, yeah. and I know everyone's schedule is different, so it doesn't have to be the same time that we do it, but we spend about 20 minutes when he gets home because that works well for us, finding out about one another's day, the good and the bad. And we have an opportunity to reduce each other. We call it stress relieving conversations. It's just like, here's how my day went. And what the research shows is that the couples who go to therapy and they get work and they work on themselves, who are the ones that are relapsing versus not relapsing? And what they found is the couples who don't relapse are the ones that are insulating their relationship from the external world by having these daily, at least five days a week when we're going to work, these rituals where they're having these stress reducing conversations that actually insulates us from so much of the outer stress that mm -hmm. it prevents relapse. That's in great. couples that do therapy. Yeah. That's so great. rituals are really, really important to us. And when we work with clients, we help them design their own rituals yeah. that are connected to their values and their core values that are important to them in their relationship. Yeah. And I think, you know, the parents listening out there, a lot of y'all don't have rituals. And I think there's a belief that connection will just kind of automatically happen. And I know sometimes working with couples myself, they kind of feel like it's, you know, forced, like forced therapy, you know, yeah. that you're kind of designing. Well, just as an experiment, try that 20 minutes or you can talk to one another. 
I think in this culture that we live in, it just doesn't happen automatically. You yeah. have to be intentional. Right. You and, have to make time for it. And I think even more so than ever, because we are so busy, most parents are both working. We have so many distractions that if we aren't intentional, we're going to lose each other. Like more than ever, we have to be intentional with the time that we have because the time is so limited. You know, we're so busy. We have to make the time count that we have. Yeah. So you talked about turning towards and I also know that he talks about turning away and turning against. Yeah. And I just think when I heard him talk about that, that just kind of rocked my world in terms of how I thought about closeness and connection. So can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yes. So one of our kids, oh, I won't say which okay. one. This one. This is maybe this story. I don't know. Was going through a really, really big thing with her mental health. And this child was having suicidal ideations. We had to get a lot of external help. And there was a moment, you know, when we talk about going through these hard things and having these transitions in life, this was the big one for us, like the massive mountain for us. To the point where I didn't sleep at night, I would sit by this child's bedside and watch this child sleep to make sure that they would survive. And there was this brief moment where I just thought, if our child ends up, if we end up losing this child of ours, you know, I don't know if our relationship is going to make it. I don't think we can survive it. And then the thought entered my mind, why am I thinking that? Why am I saying that in my mind? Why are my thoughts going to this dark place that that's going to destroy us? Because statistically, right, we know that when you lose a child, it's really hard on the parent's relationship. And I had to decide in that moment, the next thought was, I have to turn and I'm getting like already emotional, but we have to turn towards each other more than ever through this. We have to turn and take our sorrows and our pain, not just our joy, but we have to take it all to each other. And we have to like lay it at each other's feet and we have to turn towards each other here. And that decision, and I'm so grateful because she's well today and she's doing fantastic. But that was a decision that I had to make inside my mind that I was going to turn toward. And so turning toward means in all things, the hard things and being able to have hard conversations. It's the commitment that we're making to each other. And when I say commitment, what I mean by commitment is that I care too much about this relationship to take this problem elsewhere. I have to bring it to you. Whether that's a problem with you or a problem about something else, I have to bring it to you. That's my level of commitment. And turning towards can be something major like that, but it can also be down to the littlest of things. So I gave an extreme example, but you give a little example now that I've made myself cry. Why don't you give like some simple examples of... Well, I want to add on to that because that was a very interesting and challenging part in our relationship and probably the hardest part that we've come through. But, you know, I still remember having that thought in my head, are we going to be okay? And imagine going to your partner and saying, and teenagers, and for those of you who know, right, teenagers don't have fully developed brains, they tend to be impulsive, right? And that is the risk, especially when there's suicidal ideation. And I, you know, I remember going to Charlotte and I said, you know, look, if something happens that's outside of our control and we lose our child, like, are we going to be okay? Right. And need to, need to know that we're going to be okay. Right. This has to happen. And so she was thinking the same things. And I'm glad we kind of came together on that. And I'm really glad that that sort of emotional storm has passed on that one. 
So turning away and turning towards. So Gottman did some great research on this. And these are the smaller ones that they built. So the Gottmans built this. It was a cute little Airbnb. And they did it in, I think, Washington, mm-hmm. where they were both professors at the university. They, they built like, the Love Lab. Yeah, they built, it's called a Love Lab. So they have newlywed couples come in to the Love Lab. And of course, being scientists, they had heart rate monitors on them, skin sensors, cameras, all four directions, right? And they just watched them for 24 hours. And what they found was after, so they, of course, you know, grad students are analyzing all these hours and hours worth of data and trying to figure out how, what all this means. So a perfect example of turning towards and turning away, and then um, I'll tell you the results of that. But so they have a couple, and let's just say that the guy will maybe, yeah, we'll do the guy. The guy's looking outside and he's like, oh, did you see that? Look, I think there's somebody skiing on that mountain up there. Like that's a chairlift going up. Like that's really cool. We should maybe go skiing, right? Like that would be fun. I'd love to learn how to ski. And his wife is just scrolling on her phone, just catching up on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, right? Just not even paying attention. So that's turning away. That's completely missing this bid for connection. Because all he did is he made this simple little bid for connection, right? So better yet, one step better from that would be if she looked up and went, oh, wow, it does look really pretty, right? And the next best step, the master's, she walked over to the window and went, oh, that's a really cool ski lift. Like, we should maybe see what it costs to rent some skis, right? So these small bids from connection can be anything from just coming in. And, you know, if Charles on the couch, we'll just do ours. And I come in, I plop down, and I'm like, oh, just sigh, right? That's a bid for connection. So, and the data shows, I'm just going to say, because she's good as so 86%, right? Right? Couples brought them back three years later, three years later. So at the six-year mark, they rolled back the tape to see, okay, which of these newlyweds are still together? Which ones made it? And how frequently were they responding positively to these bids for connection versus not? Back six years ago. So they rolled the tape back six years. They found that the couples that survived, that was the early part of marriage, right? The ones that survived and were still together and were happy together had six years previously responded 86% of the time to those bids Mm -hmm. for connection, whereas the couples who were already divorced had only responded six years earlier, 33% of the time. So 86% versus 33%. So the moral of the story is we need to be present. We need to be aware. We need to notice these subtle attempts to connect. I mean, even the masters weren't perfect. It was 86, not 100. So Mm -hmm. as best we can, notice those things. And I don't think we do it maliciously. Like, I don't think we miss those opportunities. It's usually just because we're on autopilot. Mm -hmm. We're on autopilot and we miss it. And then we miss those opportunities to connect. And then when you are going through big things in life, those little deposits, right? Those little deposits in the emotional bank account lead to the big moments when your child is really struggling and suffering and choosing to turn toward each other in those moments too. Yeah. And just another thing about bids of connection is that they have to be clear. A lot Um, of times those connections are kind of fuzzy. And I remember Hotman telling a hilarious story about that. He said to his wife, it was like a Sunday afternoon. And he said, well, I'm really tired. I think I'm going to lay down for a nap. Oh, he does that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because some people are very literal speakers and some Uh are very inferential speakers. And Mm -hmm. I know this about Robert. I know he infers more than he is literal. So I've learned that about him. So yes, we're not great mind readers. I've learned to become a much better mind reader. (laughs) Be married to him. Me too. (laughs) But yeah, he did that one time. He'll come in the door and he'll say, hey, I'm going to Lowe's. 
okay, me being the little, originally the more of the literal listener, <laughs> have fun. Really, that was more of a, do you want to come with me? We can stop and get drinks on the way. So yeah, we can't expect those bids to be noticed if we're just inferring. We need to be more clear. Yeah. So like in parenting, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I had some help around here. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, yeah. and that's not really a, a bid for anything. Right. Yeah. I wish somebody would shovel the walkway. That's <laughs> <laughs> bad again. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How are some ways to cope with the emotional ups and downs of parenting teenagers? And how can we support each other during challenging times? Yeah. So I think what we just talked about, right, mm-hmm. the turning towards is a huge piece of that, you know, making sure we are clear with our bids, the attempts to connect, making sure we're aware and paying attention and responding positively to those, having that level of commitment where we're turning towards each other. But another one that I think two more that I would say are really important here. And the first one is love maps. And the second one is appreciation. So which one do you want to talk about? I'll talk about the opposite one. Oh, geez. Love maps. You talking my, about love my maps. My brain was on something else. Oh, uh, okay. Well then. Well, maybe before you talk about love maps. I just want to jump in with something that Charlotte taught me. And she taught me with with our, and it's probably because of the work that we're doing. So, you know, you disagree with your teenager often. And oftentimes, you know, you're right, right? Because you're the parent and you've actually watched them walk. You've already walked this path. You already know that this path ends at a dead end and they have to come back. Charlotte taught me, and maybe the work that we're doing taught me that sometimes it's important to find that dream within conflict in my teenager. Mm. To ask him. So the other day I had a conversation with him. I said, So why is that important to you? Like, why is this position that you're holding? So, like, what's important to you about that? Like, why do you think that it's important to do this one thing that you put your, I don't know, mayonnaise on the toast before or after? Like, it doesn't really matter, right? But what's the story? What's the story? Like, what is your dream within this conflict that that is so important? So from that, I gained a deeper understanding of why certain things are important to my 15-year-old, right? And guess what? They're not the same things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that works, but mm-hmm. back to values and yeah. love maps. So I'll do love maps. Sorry, I digressed on that. But that was really good. Point though, like you applied the, what we talked about earlier to teenagers, which is so good. So we talked about bids for connection, but another way to handle these emotionally challenging things we go through in life is to have really strong love maps is what Gottman calls them which is really just means how to be an expert, to continue to nurture our relationship by continuing to become be an expert in our partner's life. And the thing with life and going through these things like the one we just talked about is that life changes us. Life changes everyone. And if we don't stay current on each other's lives, we're not going to realize that we've changed because just because you knew your partner yesterday and last year doesn't mean you know them today. And so we have to invest and continue investing that time. So if we think about a map, you know, I give him the map to my inner psychological world and vice versa. He knows not just my good things, my fears, my goals, the things that I'm anxious about, the things that are happening in my life. And I know his. And that's another one of the things they found is so important as we go through these hurdles that life throws at us, we have to stay connected in that way where we really deeply continue to know each other and stay experts in each other's lives. That's awesome. And that also applies to our teens. Yes. Yeah. Because they want us to see that they're different from yesterday. And I think the quality in that is having curiosity. And I think 
it's really easy to think that you have your team figured out, you have your partner figured out, and that's usually some kind of two-dimensional stereotype. You know, he's just lazy or, you know, he's just this. And so to have a curiosity is, I think, a way of opening that hand. Yeah. I love that. I like to say bring curiosity and leave judgment behind. Yeah. So you want to talk about appreciation? Yeah. So appreciation, I think it wins the battle, especially for guys. So that's the best part you got, you know, left and right over here. I'm always going to bring the guy's perspective, but there's a thing called, and Gottman calls it negative sentiment override, which is when you come home and the only thing you're doing is looking for what's wrong. Like, why is the walk not shoveled or why are the trash cans not out or why is the kitchen a mess, a mess or why is my son not taken? You know, this hope that we have in life when we put his laundry in a basket and he doesn't carry it up the seven stairs <laughs> to his room. <laughs> why is the laundry basket still there? All these things, right? Instead of that, if we bring appreciation to bear on a relationship, when you come home and you're like, oh, you know what? I think it's so nice that you did this, right? And so when we start looking for... What's going right. What's going right in the relationship. Instead of what's going wrong. Then we bring appreciation. And guess what? Appreciation, every one of those little moments of appreciation, like, and this could be one and all, you know, I'm getting some points for it right now. This is a win. I came, you know, late just from work, had my last patient shot in here for, you know, to do this. And Charlotte had some papers and notes lined up for me. And so nice. And I appreciate that. Thank mm. you for thinking of me. Knows that my brain's probably somewhere else and she helps me keep on task with that. So finding these little things and it's little things, right? And the more little things you do, those are just cents that you put into your emotional bank account. And while any one of us, when it comes to finances, we'd all love to figure out what what bank or what stock could I invest in that would pay me one cent every single hour? One cent, that's not much. Which is one cent, that's nothing, right? We'd vacuum that up in the car wash because it's in the way. But over years, that is a really robust emotional bank account. And when I've invested that in my emotional bank account, I can screw up a little bit more because she can give me grace, mm-hmm. right? I spend it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've spent time making deposits. So appreciation is just, it's the motor oil and the engine that we call marriage, right? It's the thing that is so, so crucial. And if you're missing it, you're missing it. Yeah. And even the research backs this up because 94, I think it's 94% of couples that can put that positive spin on their relationship. Those are the ones that have great long lasting relationships because they're looking for what's going right. They're telling the story of their history based on what went right instead of retelling it in a negative through a negative lens. And so just research shows that the question you ask, as we deal with these emotional challenges through life, these hurdles, these mountains that we face, if we can try to continue to see what's good here with my partner, with this relationship, that that's going to help us to go through those transitions with more ease. So bids for connection, being an expert in each other's lives, noticing what it is that I do admire about my partner in our relationship, and then speaking it, looking every day for a couple things that are going right. That's what's going to help us move through those transitions and those hurdles and those hard things. Yeah, that's so good. Because I think what happens automatically is that we go into blame. Like, Mm -hmm. let's say a teenager, you know, does something. There's so many things they can do. They do something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because there's stress 
because of their choice or whatever. It's easy to go and to blame the other partner. Yeah. yeah. But if you could almost pause, you know, why weren't you on them? And they failed the class. And why didn't you do this? But if you could pause and like you're saying, think for a second about what is it that I could still appreciate about my partner in this moment that could just change everything? Changes your whole energy in which you're coming to that conversation. Mm -hmm. So even if you still need to have a difficult conversation with someone, whether it's your teenager or your spouse, like I'm still bringing that love and grace to that conversation so that it's less likely to escalate. So everything we talked about today applies to your partner, your spouse, or your teenager. It's the same, right? The bids for their love maps, the appreciation, the rituals, like all of these things don't necessarily just have to apply to your partner. You can do all of these things with your teenagers as well. Yeah, my new ritual with our teenager is, and I saw it online, I wish I had come up with it, is almost every night if I can, before he goes up to bed, I just tell him I love him and I'm proud of him. That's great. You know, well, I don't know, I'm not 100%, but... You know, what is it you want them to remember? Mm-hmm. And in your work and in my work, and even in our work, remember, it's always the first thing and the last thing that people hear. The middle yeah. always gets lost. So before he goes to bed, I want to make sure he's heard that from me. Yeah, I was thinking about that, showing pride in people you love. I was thinking about that just today, actually. And Robert hasn't heard this, but I lost a sibling two years ago. He was my younger by two years, the same birthday as me. And we always celebrated our birthday together every year. We were really close. And he passed away two years ago. and. I was thinking about him today, you know, now that he's gone, like the way that I look and remember our time together. And I was thinking how sweet it was. He was the major memory that I have is how proud he was of me. That's what he left me with. The way he would talk to other people about me, the way he would brag about me, like, you've got to meet my sister. She's so great about this and this and that he would tell. It wasn't just saying I'm proud of you. It was the way he treated me as though he was so proud of me every time he saw me. And I thought, oh, what a great thing to leave someone with, you know, as I think of his memory, that's something that I will always have. And maybe I could do that a little bit more with the people that are still here. You know, my, mm-hmm. my, the people I love, my spouse, my children, can I let them know through my words and my action, how proud I am of them? Yeah, it's beautiful. So any last advice for the moms listening today? I think there's a minimum amount of time that we need to invest to ensure that we have something that's going to still be there when our children are gone. And if we want to have and leave our children with this legacy and show them what is possible and have this beautiful relationship that endures once they're gone, we have to be willing to put in that effort, Mm -hmm. that intentional effort. And it doesn't take much, but it takes intention. Yeah. Ooh, talk about moms. Moms are awesome. You guys are heroes. That's all I'm, that's all I can say. Like, I don't think anybody realizes until they grow up how much their mom actually sacrificed for them. But I mean, just keep doing the hard work when it comes to the kids. Cause it is, it's a little bit, but it, you know, they bring you joy eventually. Every day, eventually they bring you joy. All right. So if the moms listening want to learn more about Y'all, where can they find more about you? You are really active on Instagram. That's where we are every day. And it's master your marriage. Again, marriage, meaning whatever that means to you, whether that's in a, you have a piece of paper or you're an emotionally committed relationship or whether 
you were in one. And sometimes, you know, hopefully I was sensitive to that. Like sometimes divorce does happen and sometimes it's necessary. And what we know is that, you know, couples that even have been through that also want to try again. They usually want to try to find love again. And so no matter where you are, we try to drop things that are useful for everyone over on our Instagram, Master Your Marriage. And then our podcast is the Master Your Marriage podcast. Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so great you. to be with you. I have loved it. I could have talked to y'all for another hour or two. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much. Thank you very much. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, God Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.